Hi, good morning. Um, welcome to our Bible study this morning. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Tim Jennings this morning. He's in town. So we wish, uh, wish them well. Uh, let's open with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for um, another day in seven that you've given us to rest. I want to thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to uh, for greater light. We ask the Holy Spirit's presence here to shed that light on us, the light and truth of love and freedom. Um, God, our study this morning, we ask for comfort for those who have lost loved ones, particularly of the Holosco friends and family and Jennings friends and family. As to comfort and lift them up uh, as only you can. And please keep us safe for the remainder of the weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. We're studying lesson number three in our quarterly on Jeremiah. At least that's what we're doing today. That's the one I prepared for. So if that's not, that's not the correct one, I apologize in advance. <clears throat> um, when we started this quarterly... I started. I just kind of started pondering. Uh, you know, you know, Jeremiah is considered one of the major prophets. I mean, he, he has quite a, a lengthy section in Old Testament scripture. He was pretty prolific in his writing, and uh, it got me wondering: you know, what this whole prophet thing and prophecy thing? What, what is it that constitutes a prophet? What, um, what 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 makes a prophet a prophet? Any thoughts? People who are inspired by God. Okay, that that's one of the definitions that um, dictionary gave. It's a person who speaks for God or a deity or by divine inspiration. Um, anything else? It, are they only to speak for God, or, or are they given with a different task, another task? Uh, and what what exactly does speaking for God entail? Is he is he paralyzed? Can he not speak for himself? Why why does he why does he call on individuals or groups of individuals to do his work for him? Thoughts? To give a presence for articulation here on earth versus uh simple impression of which oftentimes he, he guides and leads. But also uh, in one of the verses, it was saying the "and thus saith the Lord" phrase uh, that was so often used of trying to uh, communicate. Uh, and in that case, it was people saying "thus saith the Lord" when they weren't inspired, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the impact that that was having. Brings me to you know I, that's one of the other you know philosophical questions I had is you know what how do we discern between true and false prophets? Proven reliable over time as well, where they would test evidence. Okay, so what the person said. We we sometimes have to uh, take things in stride and and wait and see and 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 weigh weigh evidences. Okay, and and what that is to our um, immediate um, media soundbite. Uh, that's true. That's um, very culture. true. Uh, and and I, did, I don't think that uh, even even without the internet and and television and radio and et cetera et cetera, I don't think it fit into the children of Israel's um, consciousnesses either. They they were looking for a more immediate gratification or a more immediate um, revelation. 
Or, more likely, they were looking for someone to tell them what they wanted to hear. Um, isn't, isn't a prophet given the task of revealing something about God's character? Even above and beyond telling us what God has to say, the prophet uh, given the task of revealing God's character. Just, just by the fact that they're there, it reveals God's character. It shows that he's not a distant God who doesn't want to communicate. And, you know, it, it kind of flies in the face of the people who say, well, he just you know, created and then stepped back. Um, That's true, but false prophets are also there. because So, so just the, merely the fact of being there doesn't give us any... Um, it doesn't give us any particular discernment as to the nature of, of God's character. But it's part of the picture. It is. It is part of the picture. And, and can be counterfeited. Yes. Um, so, again, how are we to discern? I mean, I like, I like what was said earlier about so we might have to wait and, and reveal, uh, have evidence revealed. Now, is that not part of God's character? Okay. Which government says... I will reveal evidence to you that you may believe, and what, what government says, believe it because I said it, or I'll force you to believe it. Yes, sir? They uplift God's uh, previous written word or spoken word and God's law with what they say and what they, the way they act. Okay, so they, they talk the talk and walk the walk. I mean, is that a succinct um, summary of what you said? They, they reveal it in, in word and deed. They, their, their character reveals, uh, their character reflects the character of God, and, and they, they reveal what he said as well. Eve? And, and the methods that they use as well. Um, you know, God's true prophets tend to present the truth in love mm-hmm. and leave people free. Um, when you see people who are coercing others, who are... Um, yeah, strong arm tactics and stuff. Then you can, then you can know they're not truly. They don't know God. Correct. There is a there is a group on Earth right now, roughly a billion individuals that have a prophet, capital P. And do they use the methods of truth, love, and freedom, or do they use more coercive methods? For the most part, I mean, collectively. Yeah. <clears throat> There's also a group that has a hierarchy that claims to speak for God on earth. They use similar coercive methods. Mm-hmm. Linda? The same God influenced all the prophets that are God's prophets. And so you would think that a newer prophet, or one you're looking at, would be consistent with the previously represented God as well. Since God inspired all the prophets in history, we would expect current prophets to be along this, uh, not not counteract what God had previously said. Unless God said it for that specific purpose, for example, this is what I say in this instance. But if, if somebody came along and uh, said stuff that was totally totally opposite of the way God has already shown himself to be, that would alert us that he might be a false prophet. Okay. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I immediately go to the uh, the story of the the young prophet and the old prophet, and I think it's in it's either Samuel or Kings, where the uh, the young prophet was told by God to travel to a certain city, deliver a certain message, not to turn left or right, not to eat or drink anything on the way there or the way back, and he was met on the return trip by a prophet of God who said, come tarry with me, come dine with me. The Holy Spirit told me that you must come and, you know, share my meal. And that's along the lines of Elijah and Elisha, too. Elisha was told, if you see me leave, you'll get double my spirit. But he kept trying to get him to go somewhere else. I'm going to go stay here. No, I'm not leaving you. I'm going to go stay here. No, I'm not leaving you. So no matter what that Elijah the prophet told him, stay here, he was bound and determined not to because he was told, have faith in this certain outcome and don't deter from it. And it's that same thing. Here I tell you this, don't deter from it. And God gives us tests to see if, that, if we will. So he listened and he did not on your... Right. Wendell, you had a comment? I was going back to the previous statement about force. Okay. Um, in relationship to the Oregon shooting, mm-hmm. yesterday a leader, a political leader who is associated with um, religious, has recommended that all Christians arm themselves. I saw that. Hmm. Yeah, and he's close to home. Our lieutenant governor has recommended all Christians arm himself, arm themselves. Um, what did Christ arm himself with? The truth, the Holy Spirit. He armed himself with the truth. Is that all he was armed with? No, the whole armor of God. He was armed with. All the creative and destructive power of the universe. Mm-hmm. He had at his disposal billions of angels. And how did he wield the how did he wield his weaponry? Through love. He allowed his creative beings to murder him. But at certain points earlier than that, he didn't. At several points they were going to stone him to death. That that's correct. But he did not have harm. Exactly. That's right. He, he did not. Um, he did not attempt uh, to harm his creation. Well, he didn't need to harm them if he could disappear in the middle of the crowd. So the, the threat goes away. Turning the other cheek and and yes, right. If he asks for your shirt, give him your coat. Um. So yeah, that that. I got a I, I got a kind of a rueful chuckle out of of seeing that this morning that um, our lieutenant governor has advised all Christians to arm themselves. Um, I think we should be well armed, but I think we should be armed with the character and uh, and love of Jesus of Nazareth, so that we do what's in others' best interest. I don't think we should take it or let ourselves be taken it. No, not at all. We'd be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Uh, the second time Christ sent disciples out, he told them to carry. He told them to carry. Bring a sword. First time he told. First time he sent them out, he said, "Carry, carry nothing with you." Second time he sent them out, he said, "Carry a sword." So. 
maybe maybe it was a deterrent for you know those who would rob on the way. I don't know. Uh, more rhetorical questions. Do his or her prophecies have to come true for the prophet to be genuine? And do they have to be right 100% of the time? Isn't that one of the problems that Jonah had and the reason that he wanted to run? Because he says, you're, you're a merciful God, and I know you. Yeah. You, it's very possible you're going to spare their lives, and then I'm going to look like a fool. Yeah. That's, that's, he, did not, he did not want that moment in his life. Exactly, exactly the, the incident that I was thinking of when I came up with this question. Wasn't he only sharing half of God's message, and that's why he looked like a fool? In that yes, that's right. You know, are, are prophecies not contingent on um, those who are being prophesied to? There was an if-then factor. That's right. You know, which Same thing in Jeremiah. <laughs> you know, it's a cause and effect. Do we as Adventists have a prophecy to deliver? Yeah. What is it? That he's coming back again and that he wants to save all that will be saved and that you're welcome. He's coming with open arms welcoming you and you have that choice. And you can also choose not to. Mm. And that will, will be very sad if that happens, but you have that choice. Well said. Wendell? In Malachi, at the end of the book, it says that... Um, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, God will send the prophet Elijah. Mm -hmm. We have often compared our church to that prophetic message. But the, what Elijah is going to do in that prof prophecy is he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. And I'm not certain that our message always does that. You know, right. And um, I think we need to make sure that our message is one that coincides with what God is wanting us to send. Well said. Yeah, a week from yesterday, our Adventism is starting a three-week prophecy seminar here. Is its focus going to be turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers? Or based on a historical perspective, is they going to focus on something else? Chris? Coming out of Roman Catholicism, and uh, uh, the prophecies had a, a large part to play in just my believing God's word and did discarding the, you know, um, the evolution theory that I was brought up with because then I saw that God's word was living and powerful and it was, he, only he knew the future. So that did have a huge part to play in my conversion and a huge part to play in me accepting the entire word of God. And accepting the entire Word of God, I can say that my relationship towards my father is much different than it was before then. By the way, I treat him. Different better? Different. I hope. Okay, good. <laughs> good. So I, I think the Elijah message can be wrapped up in everything that's being taught and through prophecy. Well said. Thank you. All right, Sabbath lesson. <clears throat> Uh, this uh, this memory text. He defended the cause. He's <clears throat> this is Jeremiah talking to the uh, to the children of Judah about um, Josiah, the the young king. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. 
Is that not what it means to know me? I think that's so eloquent. And how many times in Old Testament Scripture was God trying to get it through his children's thick heads that he's merciful, he's equitable, he's loving, he's love, above loving, he's forgiving, he... Reachable. He's reachable, and he's, uh, he's looking out for the best interest of his children. Yeah. Part of preparing for this lesson, I was kind of pondering uh, how, without the example that we have of Jesus of Nazareth, I mean, fully revealing the nature and character and government of God, how amazing it is that Jeremiah and Isaiah and Malachi and David and and all of these Old Testament, you know, Elijah, Elisha, all these Old Testament um, characters and prophets, they got it. They understood. They, they were able to see God for who he really was in the midst of, you know, practices which, you know, we, we think that things are much worse today uh, as far as the availability of, of um, you know, troubling things to look at and see and do and hear, but I want to suggest that it, it was probably very little different back then. And and to be able to to be able to to flesh out and discern the God of love without the example of Jesus and Nazareth is is really nothing short of miraculous. Mm-hmm. You know, we're sometimes tempted to think, well, if I lived back then, I I wouldn't have been one of the rebellious children of Israel. Perhaps I, I don't know. Um, I just wanted to point out that the verse right before that, and you know the the Hebrew poetry repeats itself. Mm -hmm. Um, So it says, he did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy. And, you know, it goes right along with what you were saying. They knew who, he knew who God was. Um, We look at just in a far different way. That's right. And and he's just saying what is right and just is taking care Mm -hmm. of the poor and the needy. Um, it's not beating down those who have done who have wronged you. You know, it's it's not any of that. It's, right, it's not revenge oriented. That's right. And that's, a, that's a great point. It's another. It's yet another definition of God's justice, yes. uh, and and differentiating it from human justice. Um. So we can see um, we can see through the the behaviors of. You know the, the the subsequent kings following Josiah. We can see what can we see at work. Any any other Old Testament uh, scriptures, particularly in the Ten Commandments, come to mind? Uh, we see genetics and epigenetics at play here. Natural law, consequences of choices, yeah. visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But we also see God's mercy. Oh, absolutely. Because Josiah was the son of a horrible king. Mm -hmm. Um, And there had been generations of idolatry prior to him. And yet, when he began to hear about God, it touched his heart and he could change. And change the whole nation by his leadership 
Um, although I sometimes question the value of the change when it's based on the leader. Right. Um, but you know, the point remains: he, the mercy of God in stepping in and allowing, you know, that by our choices we can change mm-hmm. the the genetic code that we're that we we've been handed. We're not locked into that. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. May make it more difficult. Yeah. Um. Well, one of the things that made Josiah a good king was good advisors. You know. Uh, I would think so. I, I would think that at eight years old, he probably wasn't, um, <laughs> you know, making some of these wise choices uh, in, in and of his own volition. Well, and because it's when those after those advisors died, he started slipping. You know, mm. and so it was kind of it, you could see that the influence of having good people around you is also important. Not just in trying to do what's right for the Lord, but surround yourself with people who will be a good influence in that direction. And choosing to surround yourself with. One of the, one of the wonderful things about Scripture is that it, you, we, all, we often need to compare Scripture with Scripture. And in, in the king's account of Manasseh, which was his grandfather, I believe, um, the king's account doesn't say anything about Manasseh's um, restoration and an attempt to um, undo what he had done. You have to go to Chronicles and read it. And Chronicles outlines uh, you know, that he, he humbled himself in prison and, and allowed the Holy Spirit to, uh, to work on his, his character. And, and, and then he attempted to, to make a restoration it was, in many ways, too little, too late, but it was still there. Now, now, ponder this for a minute. You know, for, for those who have ever felt that they were beyond God's help, okay, how many of you have ever burned your children as a human sacrifice? You know, this is what Manasseh did, among many other things. Well, it's not part of our culture. It isn't. But if if God can restore a man who who set his own children on fire in order to appease some some pagan god, he can certainly help us. But today's version might be look different, but be the same result. That's true. How often do we sacrifice our children for our own interests, for what we mm-hmm. want to do, and too bad for them, and you know they'll just have to get over it, <laughs> or they see our example, and it would be just. It would be as effective as sacrificing your child with a fire. Well said. The sacrifice really wasn't, it was his distorted view of God. That's right. That caused the behavior and what uh, we can certainly have just as distorted views. That's, yeah, absolutely. We're going to get to that uh, in Tuesday, uh, Wednesday's lesson. Um, thank you for reading my notes. <laughs> All right, from Sabbath's lesson, quote, One after another, these men, and talking about Judas kings, seemed totally unrepentant for their action, even as it became clearer and clearer that their actions were bringing the calamities that the Lord, through Jeremiah, had warned would come. I'm not sure that it was clearer and clearer to those that were involved. In fact, I, I think, isn't that the nature of sin itself, is to, is to cloud reason and to dull discernment and eventually sear the conscience? Um yeah. The opportunity to see it, and it, however much they deny it and try to put up those walls, and and uh, now I can't hear you um, in their actions, essentially. Yes, I mean, you know, to 
to the to the quote wicked, their their way seems the correct way. What it was it Proverbs fourteen something like that? Yeah, you know. There's a way that seems right to man, but the way they're lovely, the way they're leads to death. Mm-hmm. And it said that when you trade the truth for a lie, that's right. There's no other option but for your mind to become dark and depraved. You, you you have to believe a lie. If you reject the truth, the only thing left is a, is a belief in a lie. Correct. Sunday's lesson under the rule of this Josiah. Uh, someone read Ecclesiastes ten sixteen, please. This is the second wisest man on the planet that uh, has ever walked the planet uh, talking to us. So let's see what he has to say. Ecclesiastes ten sixteen. Woe to you, O land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Okay, what uh, version is that? NIV. Okay. Anyone have a different version? The country is in trouble when its king is a youth and its leaders feast all night long. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure where they got servant from child, but the, the version I wrote, read or saw was, you know, woe to you country whose who's, uh, king is a child and whose leaders feast all day. How, how do we understand this verse in light of Josiah's appointment to kingship at eight years old? Well, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Okay, fair point. It goes back to the advisors and those who are leading him and around him mm-hmm. and the influences they have and what direction they are growing into. If you read further in uh, in Scripture, it says that he was, you know, I, uh, Josiah was a 16, basically 16 years old, his eighth year of his reign, so 8 plus 8, 16, when he started to seek God. Mm-hmm. And he was in his early 20s when he started purging the, well, in his 20s when he started purging the kingdom of idols and and uh, pagan practices and, and places of worship and then repairing the temple in his late 20s. Um, and during the, the reconstruction of the temple, the book of the law was discovered. How did Josiah use that? When, when, he, when the scribe read to him the book of the law, how did Josiah use that book of the law? How did he use the law itself? Didn't he read one together and have it read together so that they could get it read to the people, didn't he? It was read to him first. Right. And what did he do? He tore his robe. <laughs> Repent. Yes, because? And humble because he saw the destruction that his, his dad and the people before him and the people around him. He saw it as a diagnostic instrument. Yeah. It diagnosed the condition of his his country and his subjects, and himself, and what those choices were leading him to—the pathway. Yeah, he saw he saw outlined in the mosaic in the mosaic laws. You know, if this, then this. He used it as it was intended, as a diagnostic instrument. And once he came to the realization that Judah was corrupt, he shared it. He witnessed. But don't you think through all of these kings that God had a marvelous plan for each one of them to act out, but Satan had one also. Sure, absolutely. Every plan that God had for them. Yeah, there's no question about it. Josiah was convicted of of Judah's collective sin and the natural consequences of living outside 
of the book of the, of the law, the quote natural law. And he endeavored, he made, an, he made an effort to follow the commandments of the law. Even knowing that destruction and captivity would eventually be the end result. He was told it wouldn't happen in his lifetime. It, it would have been tempting just to say, well, <laughs> why bother? They are... And now, those of us who have been raised Adventists, we have this, we have this kind of collective understanding that, um, despite our best efforts, the world is going to continue uh, on the pathway that it's on, the pathway to destruction, and it's only the second coming that's going to save mankind or what remains of mankind. From self-destruction, you know, might, might we fall into the same temptation of, well, why bother? God's in control; His will is going to be worked out, no matter what I do or don't do. It's a frustration. That's how we're raised, and you know, yes, and you sit and you look and listen to every prayer, and, and the, the prayer will give a huge litany of what He wants done, and then at the end of the prayer, well, Your will be done. Thy will be. Will's going to be done either way. <laughs> okay, so why? Well. I mean, he's, you know, God's will is going to be done either way. Human will can supersede God's will, though. Mm. Is God's will going to be done? Yes. He doesn't will it. God's will is that every every human being that's ever walked the planet be restored to life. That's God's will. We can we can will it otherwise. We can we can choose we can choose, choose otherwise. Otherwise, his will was that we never fall. That's right. His will was Lucifer never fall. <laughs> Maybe we just don't understand our place and what we're doing and what it's actually accomplishing. Maybe we're not saving the entire world, but look how many more people are being saved who are choosing and know well, what's true. Oh, I agree. But I, I'm, what I'm, my point is that the temptation is still there for us as Adventists here in the 21st century because of our because of our background and what we've been raised, you know, to understand is the the eventual end mm-hmm. of the earth is is to sometimes suggest well why bother it is a temptation but you think about josiah and what he did for the remnant that was still there when jesus was born it you know if if everybody had went never mind Mm -hmm. would there have been anybody left Mm -hmm. you know question what he's saying i mean it is tempting to use god as santa i want this 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 and this and do it i hope it's your will i want it done Mm -hmm. (laughs) whereas i think maybe our prayer should be more in tune with how can we fit in with your will for this person or but for my child. That also me. conflicts with how we're raised because yes. how we're raised inundated with and inculcated with all these stories in Primary Treasure, Junior Guide, Insight, <laughs> Prayer Effect, Prayer and reality is a completely different story. That's right. Well, we're raised to you know see God as a cosmic vending machine. Yeah. And, and reality is a completely different story. And, you, and, you, you know, and you're like looking back in your history of how you raised. And I'm like, didn't they realize this? Is this an intent? Is, are they intentionally putting this stuff out there for whatever reason? But you, you can compare that to everything in life, though. I mean, you think about even voting for a president. In Daniel, it says God puts into office who He wants. I mean, so why bother? I mean, you know. But God gave us the power of choice. There is a purpose for that. And I think that when people just disregard it, like, well, you know, God's will is going to be done. It may be, but 
And our choosing, it helps us as individuals in life by having an opportunity to choose. What if we didn't? What if we were all programmed just to do automatically what God wanted? Wendell. When we have a definition of love as being other-centered benevolence, then whatever we do is not for us. It's for someone else. Mm -hmm. And when we deviate from that ideal, then truly that is a deviation into sin. Big sin. Okay? And so, when we cease to work for God, when we cease to work for others, then no matter what we're doing, we have deviated. And so whatever, whatever God wants, God wants others to be benefited. And what we do helps either speak for Him or tear down what He's trying to build. I think that's well said. In answer to what Tim was saying a moment ago, if you don't vote, you can't complain. So if you want the right to complain, you got to vote. I don't vote. I, I complain. <laughs> I complain a lot. Anyway, what our friend here was saying is that we're raised to believe that somehow we can pray and declare something into existence because God... You know, we have read that this is God's will, so we're declaring it, you know, as a, as a claimed promise, if you will. Mm-hmm. But what we learn in this class is that we grow into what is God's will. We, we follow natural law into a healthy state. And that's what we're trying to encourage in other people. Mm-hmm. We can't just declare other people into a state of being. Okay. Joelle? I've been sitting here thinking pretty much along the same line as Wendell, which is it's really all comes down to the matters of the heart. Because so many times we can do, quote, right things for the wrong reason, vice versa, you know. And so uh, when you say the end of the world and what are we doing in everything. If we have a heart change, it flows out from the heart. Everything does. Otherwise, we're operating on the mentality of stars from my crown. Mm-hmm. Watch it watches. <laughs> watches for the crown. That's how you that's how you're gonna recognize all the Adventists in heaven. They'll have watches on their crown, not jewels. <laughs> old joke, still funny. <laughs> Never gets old. So every time we focus at behaviors, we're likely going to get off track because it really goes back to the heart and the behaviors will flow from there. But we can misjudge those so easily. That's right, and we often even do. in ourselves. Yeah. I think it's I don't think it's un I don't think it's inaccurate to say that God's will is that his character be reproduced in every single human on the planet. Okay? That's what he's been trying to do since Adam and Eve fell is to reproduce his character in the species human. Okay, and it was it was done a couple thousand years ago and change that his character was perfectly reproduced in humanity 
now. And now it's a free gift. In getting back to your comment on the crowds, on the stones and the crowds, there are a lot of people that were raised, you know, you do this so that you will have mm-hmm. a glittering crown. And, and you look at back at the, 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 the prophecies of people will throw their crowns at his feet. And I think they're finally realizing, yeah, the crown's not what's important. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. They belong to, belong to him anyway. That's right. Yeah. Well said. All right, Monday's last. Well, you know, first of all, it did, I I wanted to comment. Josiah's death kind of marked a, a troubling departure from his life of following God's commandments uh, because he was advised not to go out and fight the Egyptian. In fact, the Egyptian commander said, "What fight do I have with you, Josiah? Stay home." <clears throat> Josiah, I want to go fight, and he ended up like Custer, full of arrows. Any thoughts on that? Sometimes good people make mistakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, they do. And sometimes those mistakes are... Painful. Terminal. <laughs> but it also speaks back to the free will. You mm-hmm. know, God can give advice. He can love. He can He can do all that he can to, to encourage and to give wise counsel. But he leaves the decision and action up to the individual. And uh, unfortunately, not only does a uh, poor decision often hurt the individual, but it can hurt those around him. It can rob of years of, uh, of what would have been further wise reign and yes. benefits to the land. All right, Monday's lesson. Um, Jehoahaz was 23 at the time of his succession to the throne. Now, has anyone done the math here? Josiah reigned 31 years. He started when he was 8. 31 minus 23 equals 8. Did did Josiah father Jehoahaz at 8 years old? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's what the math tells me. If he did, might this tell us some things? Food for thought. He uh, He reigned for three months. And he uh, was replaced by his brother just simply as a political decision. And he contrasts uh, about um, God's government and earthly governments here. Governments are very arbitrary sometimes. Yes, they are. And the earthly governments are always focused on one thing. Power. Power, The accumulation and the application of, of earthly power. And and growth and sustenance of that government, and sorry, folks, but the U.S. government is no different. You know, we were blessed to have been born and raised here. Those who of us who were born and raised in, in U.S. government, but it is still an earthly government. All right, um, I want to read some selections from Jeremiah 22 because this is what is um, this is what's quoted in the lesson. And I think there's some there's some great great stuff in here because here again we see God almost desperately, almost you know yearning to to reach out and and slap some some sense into these folks and to reveal, look, this is who I am. This is this is what this is the way things operate in my government. 
This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and what is right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Does it say do no violence to the legal foreigner or just the foreigner? Just the foreigner. Okay. Do not shed innocent blood in this place. For if you are careful to carry out these commands, then kings who sit on David's thrones will come through the gates of this palace, riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by their officials and their people. But if you do not obey these commands, here we have a if-then, cause-effect. If you do not obey these commands, declares the Lord, I swear by myself this palace will come a ruin. Uh, verse 13. Woe to him that builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace, a spacious upper room. So he makes large windows in it and panels it with cedar and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, and so all went well with him. Uh, And... Here we are with the memory verse again. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, so all went well. Is that not what it means to know the, to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, on oppression and extortion. Now, I thought, well, that you know, that sounds suspiciously like a, a liberal political argument. To, you know, defend the cause of the needy and, and social justice and income equality and, and, you know, treat foreigners well. Any thoughts? Yes, sir. Yeah, that, that might be something they're saying, but that doesn't mean that's the, uh, the state of their heart. Most of them are, are uh, have no, no uh, they care not for godly things. It's a political thing. And, yeah, you can always throw out something that sounds good, but everything that sounds good as far as activities doesn't mean there's the right spirit behind it. Okay. Well, one of the things that uh, both amuses and disgusts me is that uh, it would seem that both both political parties make an attempt to um, shoehorn their God concept, whatever that is, and, and defend their particular way of approaching things. The conservatives attempt to do it by uh, revealing a, a certain sort of God concept, and the liberal tends to do it by revealing a different God concept, if they believe in God at all. Um, the denominations do the same thing? Yes, they do. That's correct. They believe in a God. It just may not be a deity. Okay. Well, they, yes, we all worship some. We all worship something. Right. It's just a matter of what we worship. Uh, Tuesday's lesson, short ring of King Jehoiachin. Um, we can see, we can see progressing here. Um, the, the God is is not only he's not only revealing to the the children of Judah and and again of Israel uh, under Ahab's reign that if you don't turn from this course, this is what's going to happen. Israel was ultimately taken captive by Assyria. Judah was taken captive by um, Babylon. And he's telling, and God's telling them, "Look, this is what's going to happen. However, it's not going to be forever. 
I still love you. I'm still looking out for your best interests. Uh, I know the thoughts that I have for you, thoughts of prosperity, etc., etc. Uh, he gave them a finite time period and told them if they submitted themselves and conducted themselves as, as good citizens, that they would prosper and be returned from exile. This was truth, capital T, truth. Um, you know, contrast this with Saul's experience in the cave of the witch of Endor. Satan told him truth, that he and his sons would be killed in battle. Ah, and, and again, back to how do, how do we differentiate truth from truth? Truth small t from truth with little t. What's the, what's the purpose of God's, God's truth, quote, big T, truth? What's its ultimate purpose? Um, to, save. to save. Thank you. To restore, to heal, to save. Okay? When Satan impersonating Samuel in the cave, he told the truth. But his purpose was to, to depress, to, to, uh, to isolate, to destroy Saul. Do you think Saul would have died if he hadn't committed suicide? Yeah. Perhaps it might not have come to pass. He probably would have. Uh, I, I think he the would. battle was losing. Yeah, I, I think he would have even been taken captive and, and killed in some, you know, ritualistic philistine fashion or he would have died in battle i think he would have been killed so did he it's like <laughs> that's right yeah he didn't want to fall into the hands of the philistines he didn't want to be skinned alive or or you know some barbaric uh, treatment you know who knows what they did to their prisoners wednesday's lesson the end of the dead end Consider this passage. This is Second Chronicles thirty six, fourteen and fifteen. Yes, sir. Before we go there, Okay. I'd just like to continue with that the statement that you're reading from um, Jeremiah twenty nine. Mm-hmm. You know, the end result of God's goodness and blessings to his people were that they were going to then seek him. And the end result of restoration was that they truly were to be other centered and a different direction. You know, I, I think the people of Children of Israel thought they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. But they were selfish and self-centered and whatnot in everything that they were doing. And yet, God's idea was, yes, I have good things in for store for you. But you have to realize it's only as you are seeking me. That, yeah, that, that that will happen. Well said. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm I've just started reading Acts again uh, at home, and and I, I just read past the statement that you know God sets up times and 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 I'm I'm going to misquote it, but you know God sets up you know kings and times and kingdoms so that men will seek Him. Right. Yes, that's that's exactly, and it goes back to what I said earlier. It's God's will that his character be perfectly reproduced. Right. And every human walking the planet and will walk the planet and has walked the planet. Second Chronicles thirty six fifteen and 16. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again. Why? Because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers despised his words and scoffed at his prophets 
until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Okay, this, this tells us, this t- this, these two verses tell us a lot about the Old Testament God and his character. Um, and I, 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 I want to encourage all of you and everyone listening online to go back and read some of the Old Testament passages and, and things that, that may have given you trouble, difficulty, once read it in light of uh, you know in the filter of Jesus of Nazareth because there's there's a whole it's there it's all there. And God's wrath of letting them. That's right, and passages like this are a perfect example about it. His wrath with the route was aroused because there was no remedy left. Ephraim is tied to idols. Yes, right. Ephraim is tied to his idols. Let him go. Any parallels between this and that, the great day of the Lord, the day of judgment? It's consistent. It's consistent throughout time. It's the same thing. Okay, here we are from the lesson. There they were, hundreds of years after the Exodus, hundreds of years as the covenant people who were taught who were to be a light and a beacon to the nations, and yet they were still so caught up in the prevailing culture, so caught up in the cultural and religious environment of their neighbors that they were doing, quote, all the abominations of the pagans. Might there be a message here for us? This is one of my, this is one of my favorite quotes uh, from Prophets and Kings, and actually it's one of my favorite Ellen White quotes uh, in all of her writings. This is from Prophets and Kings, page 177. Through the long centuries that have passed since Elijah's time, the record of his life work has brought inspiration and courage to those who have been called to stand for the right in the midst of apostasy. And for us, quote, upon whom the ends of the world are come, it has a special significance. History is being repeated. And this is written 150 years ago, so it's still being repeated. The world today has its Ahabs and its Jezebels. The present age is one of idolatry, as verily as that in which, as it was in that which Elijah lived. No outward shrine may be visible. There may be no image for the eye to rest upon. Yet thousands are following after the gods of this world, after riches, fame, pleasure, and the pleasing fables that permit man to follow the inclinations of the unregenerate heart. Get your mind around this one. Multitudes have a wrong concept of God and his attributes and are as truly serving a false god as were the worshippers of Baal. Many even of those who claim to be Christians have allied themselves with influences, influences that are unalterably opposed to God and his truth. Thus they are led to turn away from the divine and to exalt the human. Thoughts? Following an incorrect God concept, she's comparing with bowing down to an idol of Baal or Ashtoreth or Molech or Dagon or uh, name Jupiter, name your, name your false god. Okay. And she's accurate. Many Christians have allied themselves with influences that are unalterably opposed to God and his truth. Christianity today promotes false god concepts. Sadly, I have been a part of that. For us as humans, it's part of a learning process, too. It should be. 
hopefully I'm moving away from uh, we know what we're exposed to and how we're raised and it's up to us to unlearn and relearn what is appropriate and appropriate for us Eve. not only that but wherever we are God can still reach us um, like Manasseh yeah I mean I, when I think back on the God concepts you know where I've been how I've grown what's changed mm-hmm. I can still point to when I was afraid of God and he was still communicating with me, still reaching me, still working with me. Um, I'm really grateful he didn't leave me there. Amen. And and I know that, that my relationship with him has grown significantly because that fear has been eradicated. But at the same time, we can have a wrong concept and he can still reach us. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of the nice things. He works with everybody wherever they are in their stage of whatever development. One, sorry, go ahead. Sometimes it takes a two-by-four like it did for Saul or Paul. Yes, sometimes. You know. Sometimes you have to be hit over the head with it. Sometimes God can work uh, with more subtle means. But if he can take someone who is actually crucifying his, his believers... And turn them around. And, I know. And there is God's grace for us. One of my more embarrassing um, experiences with, with, with this type of thing is when I was working as a therapist in San Diego, uh, I got a patient coming come in our office who, he was a, at the time, he was a third-year neurosurgery resident. So he he was a very very bright man, uh, and he dropped out of his residency. He was also a devout Catholic. He was considering going into the priesthood after going through medical school, um, you know, and then all the general general surgery residency, and then three years of a neurosurgery residency. He was he had dropped out just to because he was he was confused and. Um, he tore a ligament in his knee, so I was rehabbing him after surgery. And we became friends, and we'd go out golfing after uh, after his, his knee healed, and, and we hung out a few times. And <laughs> one day he asked me, you know, by the end he knew I was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he asked me, well, what, what's the, what's the, you know, how'd your, how'd your church start? <laughs> so I gave him a very eloquent history on the, the Millerites and the, 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 the Whites and the, um, you know, the coming out of Methodism and this, that, and the other. So I thought I was going to be clever. I said, I knew he was Catholic. I said, how'd your church start? Or who started your church? He goes, it was a guy named Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard of him. (laughs) (laughs) And I've used that one ever since. Ever since someone has asked me about Adventism, how it started, it was a guy named Jesus Nazareth. Maybe you've heard of him. Okay, That's who we need to be revealing as Adventists. We need to be revealing the being that we know as Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. And his methods and his character and his weaponry and his armor. We need to... We need to uh, as Christians, we need to reflect more, more heat, more light than heat. Sometimes we reflect more heat than light. All right, let's uh, let's wrap things up. 
gracious Father, I want to thank you for the gift that you've given us of your son uh, to develop a perfect character through the through the suffering of temptation and through the uh, victory over temptation. And I want to thank you for the gift that he now offers us of, of giving us that character, to reproduce that character within us uh, flawlessly uh, so that we can eventually see you face-to-face for who you really are. Um, continue to, we ask that you continue to bless uh, those of, bless our study corporately and individually. Um, continue to reproduce that character within us so that we can be that people that can spread the word and hasten uh, his, his uh, second coming. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you all.